I don't have the music to uh, call us all back. So th there's an awkward transition for you, huh? <laughs> By the way, I think for the first time in my life, I just woke up at like four in the morning this morning, five o'clock, and just was wide awake. So the uh, daylight saving didn't affect me too much. But um, I hope everybody's uh, up and going and, and, and moving well. If you have a Bible, turn with me to uh, Exodus chapter 5. And we'll, we'll begin reading with Exodus chapter 5, verse 15. We'll also continue to have other people read the passages going forward. But um, I'm going to read this passage today. The story... Uh, many of you are familiar with of, of the Exodus begins with Pharaoh's hardness of heart and his, uh, his, his harsh treatment of, of these uh, um, Israelites who are slaves in his kingdom. The story picks up with the foreman, that is the Israelite overseers, coming and pleading for some type of relief from Pharaoh because he's taken away the straw and now they have to do double the work or more in the same amount of time. And it says, Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants. Yet they say to us, Make bricks and behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But Pharaoh said, You are idle idol that is why you say let us go and sacrifice to the lord go now and work no straw will be given you but you must still deliver the same number of bricks the foremen of the people of israel saw that they were in trouble when they said you shall by no means reduce the number of bricks your daily task each day they met moses and aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh and they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge you because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. <coughs> Excuse me. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, now shall you see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out and with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, that is Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. 
I, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am an of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. Father, just as you gave Moses and Aaron this charge to remain faithful in this, will you help me to remain faithful in the charge of proclaiming your word here this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. just occurred to me as I was reading there that uh, there was a real advantage to using scrolls in ancient world when they were preaching outside. Page turning and keeping your page with the wind with a book is pretty difficult. I've got it also, the text also here on the computer, and so I'll look here more so today than, um, than maybe normally. The stage is set for this battle that emerges between Pharaoh and God. It's not a battle between Moses and God. It's not a battle between the Israelites and God. The stage is being set for the battle that is between God and Pharaoh. Caught in the middle of this whole battle are these foremen. The foremen were the overseers of the people of Israel. The foremen were the people who the Egyptian taskmasters would come and beat, physically beat if they didn't get the work done. They weren't the ones doing the work, but this was an effective form of management of slaves. They didn't need to beat all the people. They just needed to beat these foremen.
The stage has been set because Pharaoh has been confronted by Moses and Aaron following God's instructions. Moses and Aaron go into Pharaoh's presence and they say, it's time. The Lord, Yahweh, has said, let his people go. And Pharaoh said, I've never heard the name Yahweh. Now, many of us haven't heard the name Yahweh because when we read these scriptures, we see the Lord, when you see L-O-R-D in all caps, that means that the word Yahweh, the name Yahweh, that is I am that I am, that has just been revealed for the first time to Moses and Aaron, That name Yahweh follows throughout. Many of us don't read this with that in mind, but God is saying, I am that I am. He has been identified, and Pharaoh says, I don't know who this God is, and I'm not going to let the people go. And furthermore, I'm going to pile task upon task, and now not only are they responsible for making millions of bricks for my building projects, which is already difficult work, now they have to go and source the materials for those bricks themselves. They have to go find their own straw. The task is already difficult and now it gets all the more difficult and the people come back and the foremen see that the job isn't getting done and the taskmasters go to them and say, you have to do more. They beat them and then somehow the foremen are able to get an audience before Pharaoh himself and say, we cannot do this. And Pharaoh continues along his lines. He says, you have to continue to do this. And Moses and Aaron are also caught in the middle of this. They're caught in the middle because the foremen then go to Moses and Aaron and they say, why have you done this to us? Why have you brought us to this place? We were better off before. Now you remember, if you go back to chapter 2, the end of chapter 2, and I will, why don't I read that for you? The end of chapter 2, it's not that God just all of a sudden decided, I'm going to go free the people. The history that's going on, the story at the end of chapter 2, and chapter 2 is mostly about Moses being born and God delivering him from the the plight of the the, the murder of the firstborn sons. But the end of chapter 2, remember it says, During those many days the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. And their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel And God knew. And now you have the people of the foreman coming to Moses and Aaron and the people themselves coming to the foreman and saying, this is too much. We don't want anything to do with this anymore. And you think, how fickle can the people be? But did you catch a key verse in here? And that is, Verse 9, chapter 6, verse 9. That Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, 
but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. And the weight of some of the the guilt of fickleness in the lives and the belief and the trust of these foremen and even more so in the people of Israel is all of a sudden understood and comprehended that he's not just piling on guilt upon guilt as we looked at two weeks ago when we talked about the prophetic voice and the voice of wisdom, the sage teacher. But God understands that the people like many of us have experienced at various times in life and maybe you're experiencing this now have lost their hope, they've lost their sense of direction, they've lost so much in life because their spirit, maybe your spirit, because your spirit is broke. And in the harshness of the slavery, there's an appeal to the comfort in the known commodity of going back to something that was familiar. There are a lot of reasons that people choose to remain in slavery, in some type of difficult situation. Sometimes we don't have an option to get out of it. Sometimes we're called to endure through certain sufferings. But always God wants us to have a longing for something that is better, something that is good, a a hope for the release from the slavery that we experience in various parts of life. And we need to expand this slavery out to different things in our lives. The first and foremost is the slavery that we experience to the sin that remains in our lives. It's not the things that other people do to us, but it's the ways that we respond to life situations. in ways that are ultimately unhealthy for ourselves and for others. It's what the Bible calls sin. It's a self-imposed slavery. When, when God made everything in the world, it tells us in Genesis, in Genesis, he made everything good, and he gave the people one basic instruction, don't eat from the, this particular tree because if you do, it will bring death. He didn't explain all the reasons that would bring death. He didn't explain all the others. He simply gave them this one simple instruction. And the inherent nature of our sinful behavior is that we don't trust that God is out for our good and we seek after something that we think is going to be a better solution to our problems and to our life in general. And the result is that we we choose to enter into our own forms of slavery. That leads to our own our own death. The conflict is set between Pharaoh and God 
on a cosmic scale so that we would understand that the battle that is being fought is not just a battle that is ours individually, but it is a battle for the freedom for humanity. And it's a greater freedom that most of us than most of us desire because most of us experience what the Israelites did. They see the smallness of things. They see the difficult, the challenge of escaping, of being released, of freed from certain bondage. And we choose to stay and remain in the places that are unhealthy and unhelpful in our lives, the sinful places. And we don't have a hope of achieving, of accomplishing something greater. And that is what the gospel calls us into is that it's a hope of transformation in our lives. And it's a hope of transformation that impacts uh, not just us, but many other people around us. In fact, whole communities around us. And oftentimes mistakes are made in the church in understanding the gospel. Either we think that the gospel may have some power to transform me, but it really doesn't impact too many people around me. Or we think that the gospel is going to transform everything around me and we lose hope because it doesn't transform things in the way or on the scale that we think that it should. But the promise that God brings in his gospel is that it has cosmic impact. It changes not only us, but other people around us. And that it's ultimately him who is doing the work on his time frame, on his timetable. And when we see that he's doing the work, we can enter into the work that he's called us to. Now, let, let me just uh, propose this, that, that we look at the, the, the role of Moses and Aaron and the foreman as those who are caught in the middle of this and see how God is using this passage to teach us about how he works in general in people's lives. The people are involved, Pharaoh's involved, but this point in the narrative really draws our attention to these, these few roles that are, are in the middle. And I want us to see a, a few things the first one is the suffering that is involved in the lives of Moses, Aaron, and these foremen, and how suffering plays a role in our lives. The second thing I want us to see, and that's really from chapter 5, the second part of chapter, the second thing I want us to see is really focused on chapter 6, and that is how God comes and he gives seven promises. Did you notice them as we were reading? I tried to highlight them. They were all starting with, I will. If you look in verse 6, chapter 6, verse 6, you see, I will bring you out. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. I will take you to be my, I will be your God. I will bring you into the land. I will give it to you as a possession. And, and on each side of those is, is the framing, I am Yahweh. It's almost repetitive. Remember, Yahweh means I am already. So he says, I am, I am. He's repeating himself. I am that I am was the, the name. There is no one else. I am the Lord, he says at the beginning and the end of that. And I will accomplish these promises. So, so our, the suffering, our, the, the role of Moses and Aaron in suffering, God's promises. And then finally, we're going to come back and see how Jesus 
fulfills this role that Aaron and Moses and the mediators, the, the foreman as the mediator and how he does it, how that gospel brings freedom to our lives and accomplishes, fulfills the promises of God. Fair enough. So let's start with the, the foreman and Moses and Aaron. One of the biggest challenges that most people have in life, not just the unbelievers, but believers themselves, and many believers, almost every believer comes to a, at least one point in their life where some kind of suffering enters into life that causes a crisis of faith. The question of suffering is one of the, the most foundational, if not the most foundational question that people are asking of, can there be a good God when so many bad things happen to good people? And repeatedly in the Bible, God is addressing this question. One of the first books ever written is the book of Job, even though it comes later in the text, the book of Job. And Job, of course, endures amazing suffering, losing everything from his wealth to his family, to his home, to his uh, health. Everything is removed from this. And the question at the heart of it is, where is God in this? And Job has three friends who come and help him to understand. And their answer is, Job, you must have done something wrong to deserve all these things. And so many good friends come to us with this, that you must have done something wrong. And there's a role of searching our hearts and confessing our sin. But oftentimes, it's not a result of us doing something wrong. It was not a result of Job doing something wrong. And still another friend comes and gets him closer to the answer in exploring who God is and understanding that God is in control. But still that, that answer is close to God, but it's not God himself. And then, and then finally God appears on the scene and he says, where were you when I made all these things? It, it's not my role to make sure that you understand everything about how I work. but I'm going to tell you enough about suffering that you can live your life knowing that there's purpose. That you can live your life knowing that God is in control. That I, God says, I am in control. That you can live your life even more understanding that the suffer, suffering I call you into is going to accomplish certain purposes. And the big question is, what are, what are those purposes? What, why? Isn't there a better way out of this? God, couldn't you just have alleviated still all the suffering? Is this not like some type of cruel boot camp that is putting us through the ringer so that we'll be tougher. Isn't there a better way that you could have designed this so that we don't have to endure the suffering? And the answer to the question, the core answer to that question, that's throughout Scripture, especially as we get into the New Testament, we see Jesus and the Apostle Paul using language like, pick up your cross and carry it. It's not just speaking about Jesus, it's speaking about our role. And Paul saying, what was lacking in Jesus' suffering, I've called you to do, and it's 
challenging. It's, it's difficult language because we don't want to see anything lacking in Jesus' suffering. But here's what's lacking in Jesus' suffering. Stepped in a hole. Here's what's lacking in Jesus' suffering. Nothing that we need to forgive us for our sins. This is important enough that I'm going to wait for this plane to go by. There is nothing lacking in Jesus' suffering to forgive us of our sins. In fact, we make a great error when we try to find hope for our salvation in our own good works, hope for our salvation in somebody else's work or delivery. But what is lacking in Jesus' suffering is the suffering that we are called to endure so that other people around us would believe. What is lacking in Jesus' suffering is the suffering that we are called to endure individually, as individuals and corporately. That is the suffering that helps other people to believe. When Jesus enlists us as his witnesses, ambassadors, heralds to the ends of the earth, to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. He calls us into a life of suffering so that other people will see and hear and believe. And when we enter into our suffering with the hope of seeing God face to face, with the hope that there is something better than what we experience now, with the hope that we can't see the fullness of the reasons of the suffering. And like the Israelites, we are we are prone, we are probably going to be nearsighted and be comfortable enough in the slavery that we endure when we have that vision that is beyond that, like Moses and Aaron had been given and can communicate to other people that there is something more than what we experience now. There is a greater hope and our life demonstrates that in our choices, in our actions, in our generosity toward others, in our entering into suffering on behalf of others. Now, plenty of people want to be heroes and save other people from drowning or some other thing. But when we're willing to endure of the daily sufferings of life, because our life, we understand, is not just in this life. There's something greater that communicates to other people the hope of the gospel. And Moses and Aaron, they... They were wrestling through this in the same way that so many of us wrestle through with, with this truth. Is it really worth it? God, did, did I hear you correctly? Because this doesn't look like the plan is working out the way that I thought it was going to. I knew this was going to be difficult, but I didn't know it was going to be that difficult. And to that key question, understanding that our role, our suffering is for the purpose of other people believing and even sharpening our belief, but particularly for other people believing and that the gospel is going out with that hope and promise, God comes to Moses and Aaron and he speaks 
these words of assurance seven times saying, I will still play on the whole name of God. I am that I am. We said a few weeks ago can also be translated. I will be who I will be. I will do what I will do. And here are the things that I will do. I will bring verse six, bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. The first three are all about this deliverance. I am going to physically rescue you from these things. And you will see, not only for your generation, but for every generation that comes after you, you will see how miraculously powerful God is in comparison to anything else that you may be afraid of on this earth or anything else that you may be tempted to go to, to turn to as a second best option like slavery in Egypt. I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Moses and Aaron needed to hear those words. And when you feel like you are caught in this cycle going back to the same sin patterns that you've had before, maybe it's being controlling. Maybe you find your comfort in making sure that other people do what you want them to do. On the flip side of that, maybe it's some type of anesthetizing form of some substance abuse or, or even overeating or, or uh, finding uh, comfort sitting in front of the television too much during the day. And you need to hear this promise that when you're finding that temptation to stay in the bondage and, and feel like there's no escape, that God has promised you that he will deliver you from the slavery that you experience in this life. None of us have fully reached the promised land. The, the illustration, the imagery that we continue to see throughout the Old Testament and even into the New Testament is that Jesus has accomplished this great work of redemption, but we're still on the way. We are still tempted like the Israelites were to look back to Egypt, even in the wilderness. To look back to Egypt, even in the wilderness, and say, man, the, the food was pretty good there. It was better, better than this bread-like stuff that shows up every morning. It was better than the quails we get to eat once in a while. The food, it was pretty good there. I want, I want to go back. We're still in the not yet. Jesus having delivered us from the power of the sin, miraculously, we're, we're past the Red Sea, but we're still on our way to the promised land and we need to hear these words, I will bring you out from under the burdens. I will deliver you. I will redeem you with this outstretched arms. And the only exception there is that Jesus has redeemed us. Jesus has purchased us. Redemption is a, a marketplace term. It means to buy something. And Jesus has paid that price to redeem us. 
But the promises don't stop there. He keeps going with two more promises, and, and that is promises of identity and belonging. And every one of us struggles with places of questions of belonging. Are we loved by those around us? Are we appreciated by other people for what we bring and what we contribute? Maybe you've been through some type of performance evaluation or, or, or even a job search or a difficult time in family where you've questioned, am I really loved? Am I really appreciated? You can appreciate the words of assurance that God gives to his people here to each of us in saying, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. When you feel like God has abandoned you in your suffering or in some of your questions, when, like C.S. Lewis experienced when his wife died and he says, I, I, I had all of these things, all of these assurances, and, and I explained them to everybody else, but, but now in my moment of grief, in my moment of loneliness, I come to God and I just feel like the door is shut in my face. And we need to hear these words that God says to his people. I will be your God and you will be my people. I am your God and I and you are my people. And when you doubt that, look back to the redemption that God has worked for you, the, the rescuing that God has done in your lives. Remember the things that God has done in your past, and they will give you hope for the future. C.S. Lewis was able to endure that time and continue in his faith because, in part, he looked back to God's faithfulness before, and he was reminded of his continuing faithfulness now. And then the last two promises that he gives, he says, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob. I haven't forgotten my promises. I will give it to you for a possession. Sometimes we can be guilty of over-spiritualizing the Christian life. We say, well, if we have Jesus, we don't need anything else. But when God makes a promise, he keeps that promise. And he gave Abraham and Isaac and Jacob this promise that he would provide for them a physical place to live. And the people of Israel would have known that promise. They would have been familiar, would have been passed down through the lineage that, that, that our hope would be that we would end up back in that land of Canaan that we, we had to leave because of the famine. And we got comfortable here. But now we, we want to go back and God says, I am going to be the, I'm going to be faithful to my word and I'm going to give you that physical place. Now, that doesn't mean that he promises us a, 
a house with multiple acres of land. In fact, it doesn't mean that we're going to be promised any type of physical uh, material wealth. Many Christians have entered into the Christian life only to find that it leads to an untimely death as martyrs. Many Christians have come into the Christian life expecting that everything's going to go well only to find that their health deteriorates after that initial time or some initial time. Many Christians, Christian ministers go into ministry expecting great blessings because they've been called to this leadership position. They find themselves in places like Moses and Aaron bearing the burdens of so many people and wondering, God, where are you? Did you really call me into this place? And when God speaks of the possessions that he has promised us, promised to us, we need to first remember that he has promised us an eternal dwelling place with him in my father's house or many rooms. Sometimes even people like to translate that many mansions that we, we would have a, an abundant life that we would live with one another and in, in, in full possession of, of everything that we need. But in the meantime, as Christians, oftentimes we're called to enter into these places of suffering, of groaning, much as the Israelites did because we are the people on God's mission to endure this suffering for the sake of other people. And each of us has been called a priest of God. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a priest. In fact, you are more of a priest than you can even say I am. We choose not to use that word in Presbyterian circles in part because every one of us is a priest Peter says this, we are a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. Every one of us, every one of us call, are, are ambassadors of God. We are mediators in this whole thing because Jesus has equipped us to be so. I am too, I'm no less of a mediator, but every one of us is a priest, a mediator called to enter into this life of suffering so that many more will be saved. Many more who have lost their hope, like the Israelites had that it tells us about in verse 9. Whose spirit is completely broken and the harsh slavery has broken any kind of hope that they might have. We're called to enter into those places and show them some hope and bring them out. In fact, we have to realize that none of us would be in this place of being priests or ambassadors by our own power. None of us seeks to do good. No one is righteous. No, not one, Paul says. And the only way that each of us has come to faith in Jesus Christ is that God reached into our lives. The Holy Spirit came into our broken spirits and breathed life and hope 
into those places that were dry and desolate so that we could believe. It is impossible to come to God unless the Spirit of God enters into that person. And the Spirit of God works alongside of us, just like we talked about or I prayed at the beginning of my prayer, that our prayers accomplish God's purpose even though He is sovereign to do it. Somehow it works together. Our entering into suffering for other people accomplishes God's purposes as His Holy Spirit breathes life into that broken spirit and it brings us to a place where we can we can believe. None of us can believe without the Spirit of God coming to breathe life into us. Jesus. Jesus does what seems like an overwhelming task for Moses and Aaron and every one of us. Because there's no way that we can, like priests were called to do, completely stand in the gap between humans and God. Every one of us is insufficient for that task. And it's only Jesus who can truly go to God and say, I am righteous. And because of my righteousness, I am bringing you this other person to present them to you as righteous. But he doesn't do that just out of his power or just saying the words. He does it by entering into that very suffering he calls us to enter into. But he does far more than we could ever do. For he endures the suffering <coughs> as a sacrifice in order to pay the redemption price of our sin. The penalty of the wages of sin is death. But the scripture says that Jesus died that death in our place to pay the redemption price so that he could reconcile us to God. With God's outstretched arm, looking at the end of verse 6 again, outstretched arm, Jesus redeems you by his power, giving you his righteousness and taking your sin and paying the price for it. The good news of the gospel is that through this work of redemption, Jesus has freed us from the tyranny of our sin and the slavery that that brings. He's shown by his own work the example and given us the ability to be persistent in our lives, entering into this life of suffering for the sake of others, And like God did in redeeming the people and delivering them out of slavery in Egypt, he's fulfilled his promise to deliver us from that greater slavery. And that was the one Adam and Eve entered into by, by, by that first disobedience. 
and he's delivered us from the power of sin and death. Moses, in his weakness, verse 12, says to God, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. Just means unclean, imperfect, not bearing the promise of God. But Yahweh spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. The work of evangelism is difficult work. Many people hear the gospel and reject it. Many people don't hear the gospel because we're afraid of what it might mean to proclaim our faith to other people. Even the Israelites themselves, the people of God, now had turned on Moses and Aaron, not believing the word of God. But God gave Moses and Aaron this charge that he also gives to each of us if we are in Christ. And that is the call to proclaim the gospel to all to all who would hear it, to everyone around us. And he sent us with this promise that he will accomplish his purposes. You may feel like your lips are uncircumcised or uh, insufficient, that you don't have the right words or the right answers. Moses had the same objection. And God says, I will give you the words. You may feel like people are going to reject you or you're going to have some type of persecution. And God says, that probably will happen. But God presses in on the charge and says, I haven't left you to endure this suffering for no reason. don't make it so that there's no reason by missing the opportunity that this suffering can bring. Know that his compassion is with you and if you are in a place of broken spirit, harsh slavery, that he speaks into you comforting words and says, I will be with you. I will give you a deliverer. We aren't called to be Moses and Aaron. We're not called to be Jesus. We're simply called to be who God made us to be and living out a life of faith that God is accomplishing his purposes through us and, and, and telling other people why that faith, why we have that faith, why we have that hope. Let's not let our suffering go to waste. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we are a weak people. We stumble in many ways. 
We fear the calling you have put on our lives for our insufficiencies. We grumble, we complain. We also call out, how long, O Lord, because we don't want to be called into suffering. But we look to you knowing that it is for a reason. Will you help us to be ambassadors of your peace and of your salvation, we ask in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.